Welcome to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. In this episode, you'll hear founder of the LEAP program at St. Mary's College, Claire Sheridan, in conversation with San Francisco Ballet School faculty member and children's ballet master, Jeffrey Lyons. This episode was recorded on Sunday, March 17th, 2019, before a performance of Helgi Thomason's The Sleeping Beauty. Hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody. He's probably going to go into sunglass mode. <laughs> Take him off. Welcome to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist interview at the War Memorial Opera House. My name is Claire Sheridan. I'm the founder of the LEAP program at St. Mary's College of California, and I'm your host this afternoon. Now, you'll be seeing some extraordinary dancers on stage today, and I think they would all agree that they wouldn't be here if it weren't for the dedication and skill of their great teachers. And our guest today is one of those great teachers. He's on the faculty of the San Francisco Ballet School, and he also serves as a ballet master for the young students who perform with the company in ballets like the Nutcracker, Coppelia, and The Sleeping Beauty, which you'll be seeing this afternoon. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jeffrey Lyons. Hi. Hello. Let's first just get some background information. You were a professional dancer with Pennsylvania Ballet, yes. among other companies. In your training as a young man, was there a particular teacher who, who inspired you or had a profound influence on you? Uh, yeah, I had, uh, her name was Patricia Wilde, and she had been a principal with New York City Ballet. And she had been a ballet, master, a ballet master at American Ballet Theater for about 14 years. And then she took over the school at American Ballet Theater. And I spent four years at, that, at ABT school. And so she was one of those people that was really encouraging for me. Because when I got to New York, I was five foot nine, And within a year and a half, I was six foot four. So I did all my growth. I did my growth between 17 and 19. So I was relearning everything. And so she was incredibly like calm and patient, because it, it was just bad. So, and she gave me that time, and it was great, so. What exactly are your responsibilities at the San Francisco Ballet School? Um, so I've been at the school teaching for 20 years, um, and over the time I've been there, I've taught all the levels. Right now I'm teaching, and I love, what I, I love the middle and the lower levels. Um, so I teach the level one, two, three, and four boys in the school. Those ages are? The ages are eight to about 14. And um, then I teach the level seven technique class one day a week, and I do level seven potata classes. And I also do repertoire and choreography classes for the level eights, which is teaching them something that the company's working on for core for the core work so that they learn how like the boys and the, or the young men and the young ladies um, learn how to dance in the core together with partnering. So it's funny because the prologue, which is the six fairies and the six cavaliers, is something we always teach them because we did that last year. And it's a great one that you're going to see today. I did it when I was a dancer. And it's something we always teach them because they have to work in unison and they have to partner in unison. Everything has to be in unison and it's a really good one because it teaches them how to, you know, they're, when you're working with them and they're doing all the promenades, they have to watch as the promenade's happening to make sure they're at, everything's turning at the same time. And there's a lot of work involved. It looks, they make it look so easy on stage, but there's a lot of work involved. It really is. And so that's the, that's the stuff we work on with the level eights. And 
you know, and so like right now in the school, we're working on one of Helgi Thomason's pieces called Ballet de Celine, and the school will be doing it at the end of the year for their showcase, the Spring Festival at Yerba Buena. And so we're putting it back together, Tina LeBlanc, myself, Pascal Malat, and putting it together. It's 20, 28 kids or 28 dancers. So that's what we're doing right now. So it's kind of busy. So You also do a community scholarship program where you go into the elementary yes. schools. Yes. So the, uh, the school, the education department does, it's called Dancing Schools and Communities, and it's been almost 40 years. And we go into 37 elementary schools in the city, and they work with second and third grade. And it's a nine-week residency, and they're teaching artists that go into each school and work with the kids, and they learn different dances. And they learn world dances. And then we always, depending on what they get to come every year for, to see one of the student matinees. Like uh, last week, the, a whole bunch, this theater was full of close to 3,000 children from different schools that were watching Third Act of Sleeping Beauty. And so they put together a little dance. Like this year, we did it with the music for the Garland dance, just something that they could teach the children so they would recognize music from what, what they were going to see. So, yeah. um, now, the boys and girls have separate classes at the San Francisco Ballet School. Why is that? I, it's easier for them to focus. You, it's, well, when they're little, they don't want anything to do with each other. And as they get a little bit older, that's all they focus on. And so it's much easier to separate the classes out. And we have the luxury here in San Francisco at the school because I think we have over 150 boys in the school, which is amazing. I think we're like one of the only schools in the country that has that outside of maybe School of American Ballet in New York. And we're really lucky that way. It's really fun. Uh, the majority of the classes for the, the boys and the young men are average 15 to 20. And it's great because we have a boys program. So we keep them separate because when you put them together, it gets interesting. And it's either the boys, don't, the little ones don't want to do anything with the girls. And if, uh, like in Showcase, they might have to hold hands. And they're like, ah. Oh. Even when we work on Nutcracker and we start teaching the march for Nutcracker in the party scene, that first little march, the littlest kids are like, okay, now you're going to offer your hand to your lady. And they're like, what? And you're like, yeah, you're going to. And the girls usually just go, <laughs> It's like them getting used to it, and so... But the, the technique is different. Like, you have to... What do you do to prepare the boys for partnering work and for lifting? Do you... Well, I, we have beginning potata classes, and in the beginning potata classes that we teach them, it, it begins with just lean-outs and simple things for the class so the boys start learning when the girl... If the lady is not on her leg or off-balance, you feel it in your hands. It's going to pull you in a certain way, and it's teaching the, the, the young guys what it feels like. So that they know it, so that as, and you start increasing it as the class goes on. So we might start with just a susu promenade or a promenade in coup de pied where they have to hold the girl and walk around them, which they're scared to do. And they have to get over that fear that it's okay to actually manipulate it. And um, it's slow. You slowly build it and you start building it with baby lifts and you do slow lifts, but no higher than your chest and down. And it's teaching them that they lift with their legs and not their arms. And it's just a process. So there is technique to potida that we start teaching them usually about level five, level five going into level six. The level sixes have a, a real paw class in their curriculum. So Now, you mentioned about you, know, you grew to six foot four in a short period of time, and I, you must have been discouraged. You had a teacher to help you. What do you do when you feel like your student 
is in a rut or, or is feeling discouraged. Well, I think the, good, the great thing about the school is all the teachers are really involved with the kids, and we really care. We want them to succeed. And you can tell when someone's struggling, and a lot of times it's just a matter of talking to them and letting them talk, and you listen to them. And just go, you know, I've, I've done, I know how you're feeling. I've been there. And you just have to be calm because it's going to get better. Or there are different things we can talk to them about. And, and the teachers talk amongst ourselves, too. You know, like Pascal and Jaime Diaz and I will talk about some of the guys. And the same thing, the ladies like Tina and Karen Gabay, they'll all, we actually was like, hey, have you noticed this? And they're like, yeah. Well, how do we get, let's see what we can do to help them. Or it, it, So it's that. So you're constantly, we're aware of it, because you, know, you see them so much, you know when something's off. Even with the little ones, you notice it too, so. Um, how many of you, I think some young dancers in the audience, how many of you have taken ballet, or take ballet now? Can you raise your hands? Nice. Oh, I see. Very nice. And some of you might be parents who have children, so what's your best advice to young dancers for staying healthy and avoiding injury? Uh, it's a lot, right? I, main, I, we always talk to them that they have to eat well. And um, what a, t- a lot of times for us, especially with the younger kids, is they're coming directly from school, and they're just, they might have a 4.30 class, and they get out of school at 3.30, and they haven't eaten anything. And it's like reminding, talking to them and talking to the parents, sometimes you need to call them and say they need to eat a sandwich with some protein or something before they come to class. Um, as far as injury, I mean, we, we work really hard on, with the base of the technique, of trying to teach it just so they don't get injured not forcing it, but letting them find the, like, the muscles they use, because they can't feel it. You know, it, it, you have to learn to feel what muscles you're using, and we have to talk to them constantly about it, and he, you have to be very encouraging. Because unless they're really, and sometimes with the boys, they are boys and they're rambunctious, and you have to go, okay, we're done. You need to take a few deep breaths and calm down, because they're just bouncing off the walls. But um, it happens in the downstairs and the, and the uh, dressing rooms, too. They've been known to hang from stuff. But the girls are much better. The girls are always much, much better. Um, But more than anything, what starts happening is they get a little bit older and it gets harder. And they're doing six classes a week or maybe more. And they're, they're starting to do point work or they're starting to do lots of jumps. It's just us, as our job is to try to talk to them about not sickling and really working the rotation from the thighs and not forcing it from the ankles and knees and just trying to make sure they don't get hurt. Uh, injuries happen, though, all the time. It's just the nature of the beast, you know. Do you encourage them to cross-train? Do you say what you should do the, is get on a the bike? Older, you know, the older levels, too, they have a cross-training class once or twice a week, the sevens and eights, and um, so that they get that cardio, but they also are working on building strength. So... It's been good. I don't think they like it too much. It's not but, pretty. But, yeah. Boring. But they, um, but they work really hard, and it's a hard class, and Pascal Malat does it, and it's um, one of the physical therapists for the company. She has a whole program that she does, and that's what they're working on. So it's a modification of that, and it's really good for them. So... If you're just joining us, I'm speaking with Jeff Lyons, a teacher and ballet master of the San Francisco Ballet School. And in a short time, we'll be able to take some questions from you, the, the audience. But meanwhile, um, this Meet the Artist interview is one of many audience engagement programs offered by San Francisco Ballet. If you go to sfballet.org and click on the Events tab, you can learn about other events and classes and access videos and other resources. And podcasts of these MTA interviews can be found on our website or on any podcast player. Now, 
Onward to Sleeping Beauty. Now at two o'clock, we will enter an enchanted world of forests and castles and fairies, a land of beauty and elegance where nevertheless, good must battle the forces of evil. So I want to ask you, Jeff, why do you think Sleeping Beauty is so popular? Why, why do people flock to this ballet? It's really pretty. To start off, it's really pretty. It's very visual, and the score is just amazing. Um, I, I think the fairy tales, the story ballets, why people like them so much, it takes us away for two hours. We can leave the outside outside. We come in, and we get to see something that's just beautiful. And, you know, people... I, Sleeping Beauty is just really pretty, and you're going to see a great cast today. It's going to be fun. Who's dancing? Sasha. Sasha de Sola, and her prince is Carlo Delana. Yeah. And then, so that's going to be fun, and it, they're beautiful. And I just think, for us in society, I, I think arts serve a really important purpose. And I do believe it's that moment where we can come into the theater and for whatever might be going on in the outside world, we get an hour or two or three hours where we can just breathe. We go, wow, this is good. And I forget about what's going on and I can just watch something that's absolutely beautiful on stage. And to me, that can set me, for, that gives me a good week after that. And so we're lucky at the ballet. I think, I think I'm a really lucky man because I can walk across the street and watch anything I want to watch. I'm very lucky. I can stand in standing room. And it's fun because half the kids on stage, I know, because they've come through the school. So that's fun, too. It's pretty a great sense of accomplishment when you see that it's these just, are your it's, former students on stage. It's, a really ama- it's kind of amazing. Um, I kind of shared with you that story, and I get really emotional when I say it. I tease them a lot, right? Um, Max Cawthorn was in the school. He came in at level one. He was 10 years old when he came in. And he stayed for about six months, and he was like, he hated it. He wanted to quit. And his mom and I were talking on the phone. We kept going back and forth. I was like, don't worry about it. If he wants to come back, we'll take him back right away. And so after that summer, he wanted to come back, and so he came back in. So he came all the way through the school. And um, a couple of years, when they did Frankenstein the first time, I'd walk backstage for one of the dresses, and I was teasing him. I was like, Max, why aren't you working? He's like, oh, Jeff. He was like, I'll be dancing tomorrow. So I came back to the dress rehearsal the next day. He was doing Victor. He was doing the lead. One of the lead roles. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, what's he doing up there? And Because um, I was really busy over there, and I think we were rehearsing somebody with kids already for something else in the season. And so I had that moment of watching it. In the beginning of Frankenstein, there's Victor grown up and the child. I was like... Because the kid that was doing the young Victor had been in the school since he was in level five, and he had been in the school since level one. I was like, okay, I get emotional. I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. And I was like, I'm such a lucky person. Then later on, the little William that got murdered was in level three at that time. I was like, oh my God, it was like boom, boom, boom. And it's that moment where you go, you see the long arc of it all. But I was like, this is so cool. And then when you look around, you see kids that have been in your classes, like potted classes or upper level classes, and you're like, wow. So it's fun. It's fun to work here. Oh you know, it's really cool. So, and there's that long distance. And working with them with the company, it's kind of fun because, like, the little girls you're going to see Garland today are very funny. And they, um, we did probably about eight hours, nine hours of rehearsal with them, and then they were on stage. 
And, uh, Can you tell us exactly when that's going to happen, when, when those, the younger dancers come on stage yeah. and what are they doing and what act? Well, the, the, the Little Garland girls come on at the beginning of the first act. So you have prologue, there's a pause as they switch the scenery into the first act, which is her 16th birthday. And it's the very beginning of the first act. And the, the, it's the Garland dance. And the older ladies are dancing and then the six little girls run out. And they dance amongst them. And um, they're, they have a blast doing it. They're very good doing it, too. Um, and so for that, we rehearsed about eight, nine hours and got ready to go. Patrick Carman, who's the head of the school, came in and like picked kids, and we started working with them. And then the process, you start rehearsing, and then they have to fit the costumes. You have to make sure they can fit the costumes, because the costumes are only a certain size. And there are only six costumes. And so everything, you, all these things fall into it. And then, uh, then once they got on stage, Betsy Erickson was the ballet master that they worked with for that. Because there's always a ballet master for the company that kind of helps with depending on what the ballet is and for the section that the children are in. So for um, beauty, because Betsy was the ballet master for the garland dance and all of that, she kind of helped oversee the little girls once we got them on stage. And I'm still here running around backstage chasing them a little bit, but yeah. You know, one thing about Sleeping Beauty, and I was noticing this, during a performance is that there's 3,000 pairs of eyes all focused on one thing. And, and then in these days of everybody, you know, with looking into their phones in their own little bubble, it's so nice to kind of look around and see everybody focused on one thing. And because, you know, this opera house is opulent with the red and the gold, the, the, the stage, and especially in Act 3, the ballroom, it almost feels like an extension of the opera house, and so it feels like, well, we're invited too yeah. to, to this ba to this wedding. And the fact that the dancers are bowing to us and acknowledging us, and it just feels like, wow, I, I belong, even though I don't belong on there. But I feel like everybody in here is is unified, and that that's another reason why well, I like the ballet. I think, and also, it's it's polite. Yes, <laughs> their manners, you know, it's polite, and that's an it's another nice thing. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Now, um, Nutcracker is the big daddy when it comes to the number of child performers. Yeah. And this is, you don't sleep during Nutcracker, I don't think. Um, no. How many children are involved in that production, and when do you start working on that? Uh, so Nutcracker, in uh, Helgi's production, there are 75 kids, uh, not per show. But actually, I'd have to do, I'd do a quick count. I know that there's 75 kids that we use. So... What normally happens is there's an audition in September that uh, Anita Pachotti, who's one of the ballet masters for the company, comes to. And then Tina LeBlanc's there. I'm there. Um, and just steps are given to the children to see who might, you know, what they can do and what they can't do. And then Anita starts picking kids. We get input from Patrick. Uh, so... We usually start rehearsing the children the first weekend in October, and we only rehearse on Saturdays. So we go through, there are usually about 20 hours of rehearsal total before they're on stage when you break down the hours. So, and we have kind of, we figure, I mean, I do the party scene, I also do the battle scene, and I have timelines because I've been doing it for so many years. This will be like the 15th year coming up next year that I've been doing it. Um, where I know at each week what I'm bringing in. So, you know, by the time you brought everyone into the battle scene, you have 35 people 
not counting the principal men and the mouse king that'll come in later after Thanksgiving. And so it's just a matter of like doing your numbers and knowing what you're going to set each time. The party seems a little bit different. We always have two full casts of children for party. There are two full casts for the bugs that open the second act that Tina does. There are two full casts for the clowns that Christy does. So, and then the other thing that no one realizes for Nutcracker is the, the horses, the horsemen, the pages, and the dragon are all schoolboys level eight and trainee men. So the neat thing is most of the guys in the company have done, some have done party, mouse, horse, page, dragon. Others, the way up through the they've, entire They've valley. done it all. They've yeah. done all the student roles in the show, which mm-hmm. is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot. But, it, you know, we, we start in October, and by the time we get on stage, they're ready to go. I mean, they're so ready to go that even when the orchestra's different, they're counting, they know what to do. And these kids are amazing because they're so professional. You know, they're like... So... Um, now, I'm almost afraid to ask this, but um, can you give us a story about something that didn't go quite right? Well, I, things don't go quite right all the time because it's live, right? It's live performing. And more than anything, sometimes the kids will be really upset because they feel like they messed up, and you don't even notice it. You know, a couple of times this week for the girls, the little girls doing Garland, afterwards, they go, ladies, good job, really good job. You did great. And they're like, but I fell or I, did, or I tripped. It was like... I didn't even see it. And they're fo- so focused on one little bauble that they think it like ruins the show. I was like, no, no one even saw that. You kept smiling, you kept moving, it was wonderful. Very good job. You know, and sometimes that's that simple. We've had times where walking on stage, the kids for the entrance for battle, uh, for party scene where one had a, a nosebleed. So he wasn't going on stage <laughs> as, the, as they were going up the stairs to come down the stairs. And they're like, what are we doing? I went, just pretend he's there. And they did. The whole, the whole march and everything, they just left that spot open. They knew where he was supposed to be. The girls did what they were supposed to do around nothing. Because they're so rehearsed. They get really rehearsed, right? So, yeah, things that, like that happen. This is such great training because those are going to happen to you as a professional dancer. And I have seen things go wrong on stage and the dancers don't blink an eye because yeah. they've had this training. And they, when somebody injures and hobbles off, I mean, they just take over and you can't yeah. even tell what, yeah. what we're on. It's that training from dancing as a kid on yeah, stage. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Can you summarize, I mean, you, you've been teaching for 20 years, what, what got you into teaching anyway? Because you were... I wanted to teach because that growth spurt I had, that horrible growth spurt that I was like, this is horrible, because I, had, I was cooked when I went to New York. I was about five foot nine, and I'd had six years of training, and I was like, kind of, we say cooked, because I was kind of set. And then when I grew, everything was thrown, I had to start from scratch again. And it was watching Patricia Wilde, that one teacher that I had, because she never gave a blanket correction to anyone. She would look at you and figure out why you weren't doing it and go, why don't you try this? Or try, and she'd help you figure out what wasn't working. And that, to me, started clicking, and I went, I think I want to do that sometime when I stopped dancing. And so when I, um, I danced, like, for 14 years, and when I finally decided, I was about 34, and I went, I think I'm done. I think I want to start. And I started teaching when I was in Philly, and then I got the job offered to come here a couple of years later. And I went, Philly, San Francisco, Philly, San Francisco. And I went, I think San Francisco. Yeah, but that was kind of that, th- that idea of having teachers that would fi- help you figure it out, to me was like amazing, because I was like, oh yeah. And to me, that's what a teacher is. That seems, I was, my next question was like, what is important to you now as a teacher? Yeah. It just seems to be to kind of custom design your training so it's not just yeah. do what I say. And That doesn't work. That doesn't work. And it's the idea of like trying to figure out, I think of it as a puzzle. 
if you can figure out what's going wrong, you can fix it, right? And we talk to the kids all the time about it. If you can figure out why you're falling out of that pirouette, we can fix it. If you think about what you need to hold or what you need to do, and you can see the light go on for them, and they start doing that. And to me, that's part of the, that's nine-tenths of it, because as a dancer, you have to use your brain. It's, I think it's the most important thing we have. And you don't have to have a perfect body, it's how you use your brain and how you are able to use your body to your maximum potential, you know? So, yeah. So when you're not teaching, what do you like to do to fill your time? Oh, God. I have hobbies. I have, I have funny hobbies. Like, um, I like doing things with my hands. I, um, I do, it's called traditional rug hooking. It's not latch hooking. It's traditional. It's like, I dye the wool. I cut the wool, I hook it into a base. I make rugs. It's funny. And um, I also do jewelry. I don't. I do uh, beaded stuff. So it's you know, it's just it's really relaxing to me. And I hang out with friends. You know, we have such a beautiful city here when it's not raining. But we need the rain. But the chronicle yesterday or the day before was like the drought's over. I was like yes. Um, but you know just going places in the city and seeing different things are going out of the city. I, you know, we're so blessed to live here. We really are. You go 20 miles one direction or the other, it's completely different. And we're lucky that way. So, yeah, just trying to relax and hang out with friends and enjoy the city when I can. It gets busy here, you know, but when we have free time, enjoy the free time, yeah. And we can take some questions from the audience. I want to allow some extra time because I know people would like to maybe speak to a teacher who produces what you're going to be seeing this afternoon. Yes, ma'am. No. Oh, the question, I stay here. Oh, I, can, I, can um, I repeat the question? Yeah. Yeah, sorry. When the company goes on tour, do you stay here or go with the company? No, I don't have to. They don't usually take kids on, on the road. And if they did, like Anita Pachotti or Betsy would like be the ones overseeing that. I think when they did Cinderella and they took them on the road, they took the the prince, the little boy, and the little girl that did Cinderella. They took them to um, Washington and to New York. But then one of the ballet masters does it. I don't have to do that. There, there are rules and with children being backstage. Yes. They have, what are the rules? Ooh. So state of California has definite child labor laws. And so every child you see on stage has a, um, a work permit. And there are, I forget, and they'll t they're going to hit me for this. They're going to go bad. They can only do so. They can only work so many hours a day, plus have school. So, in general, we get them. We can get them for three hours a day. That's total. So, that's if it's a Nutcracker double show day. It's everything set up for them, so they're within those parameters. There is a studio teacher that is with. I forget how. What's the ratio of the studio teachers to the students? And studio teachers are mandated by the state of California for the welfare of the minor, and they are credentialed teachers. And their whole purpose is to make sure they're safe backstage and safe in the dressing rooms. Um, so there, and then they offer studio school on work on school days for the kids, so that they can do their schoolwork with a teacher. If they have a matinee and then an evening, which will happen for Nutcracker, we we set it up so it's two shows a day. They have a day on, a day off, a day on, a day off. So to all comply, and um, so yeah, it's. It's pretty easy. It's just the number of hours they're allowed to be here. And they're very strict about it. Yeah. So. Should, should be. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. How many, um, what's kind of the ratio of students in the school becoming professional? Um, 
I don't know what the, the numbers are, the statistics or the numbers exactly. It's pretty high, though. Um, we have kids from this school that have gone through the school in the company. There are a lot. I think it's like 67% or something. 67%. That's a lot of dancers that come Which through the really school. Which is really good. Yeah. And a lot have come all the way through. We have kids. I can, I, I can go through the companies around the country that we have kids from the school that are in now. Like Oregon Ballet Theater, Pacific Northwest, Alberta Ballet, uh, Ballet BC, National Ballet of Canada, Boston Ballet, Pennsylvania Ballet, Pittsburgh Ballet, Houston Ballet, Sarasota in Florida, Atlanta, um, Tulsa, Kansas City, Cincinnati, uh, Oklahoma City. We got kids everywhere, and that's the cool thing. That's really amazing that the kids get jobs. A lot of kids are getting jobs this year, which is really wonderful. So, and then some will go to college. Some will do a dance program in college. Some will decide they don't want to dance, you know. And so part of what they do, they have... Um, they have career training for the sevens and eights going into the training program. They have career training for them that they meet with counselors that help them figure out what they want to do in the next step. And if they want to go for a company, they help them figure out how to do it. And then if they want to go to school, they help them set it up so they can do their papers. I mean, one of the kids who's a trainee got into Stanford. He's going to defer, but he was like the essay, everything, you know, it's, it's kind of cool. So kids go everywhere. It's kind of neat. Yes. Okay. How do you handle promoting someone from a, a young student from grade one to grade two to grade three okay. level? So yeah, we start, level one's usually eight. The requirements are eight years old, eight and nine. We have exam classes in the school at the end of the year. We're getting ready for exams. And what it is is basically three or four people come in with Patrick, who's the head of the school that they've invited in, that necessarily aren't from here, that are dancers or ex-dancers. And they watch the class. And they have things that they look at. Um, motor skills, coordination, musicality, artists, like artistry, you know, how artistic they are, joy of movement, rhythm, the whole bit. They look at all that. And each level is a little bit different. And they look at it and then they decide with our input on how we feel whether they might need to stay a year in the level or move up to the next level. And sometimes they'll stay a year. And it's usually really good for them because they get a little stronger in their bodies. Then the next year they just take off. And so, but it is set up like every level in the school has an exam class. And um, it's pretty fair the way it's done. So, no. yeah. You know, we're out of time. Time just flies. So if, um, could you please join me in thanking our guest today, Jeff Lyons. Please enjoy the show. Thanks for listening to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. For more podcasts and other audience engagement programs, check out sfballet.org or your favorite podcast player.